This radio silence for another global transmission here in the Jaws Obsession. Thank you very much for returning for another episode. This episode 73, Jaws Iconography. Another global broadcast reaching out to you once again here in the Jaws Obsession to share with you, prove to you, convince you, or remind you that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. Yes, there has been a delay. Uh, there has been a lot going on, and I wanted to... Uh, take this opportunity to bring everybody up to speed, to get everybody on the same page. After the last episode aired, uh, we, the Jaws world lost. Roger Castell passed away at the age of 92, who painted the iconic, in the most literal sense of the word, iconic uh, painting that became the Jaws poster uh, and the face of the franchise. He passed away, and I wanted to get to an episode talking about Mr. Castell and unfortunately, we are here as we pay homage to the man who recently left us. It was because of his painting that um, that Jaws became the movie we know it to be and had the effect on all of us. Many of us were first introduced to the book or the movie because of this painting. So I wanted to talk about more about that, as well as uh, the life of Roger, as well as the mystery of the missing painting that is still ongoing that was never solved during his life. That's going to be on the second half of this episode. The front half is going to be full loaded up on November 15th. After the last episode, episode 72, the Book of Quint went into publication. Around the world, it is now published out of the UK with Amberly Publishing. The Book of Quint, the prequel to Jaws, is now out there and being read. 
by readers all around the world. And we wanted to talk more about that. But first, why the delay? Why was there such a big delay? We're looking at about four weeks here. This is unheard of. On December 7th, the Jaws Obsession celebrated its two-year anniversary. So the Jaws Obsession here turned two years old. Uh, The first episode being broadcast on December 7th, 2021, which is also the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. And that was not done on purpose. That was not done on purpose. That just happened to be the date that uh, that I was getting uh, the, everything together. And I just hit click on the publication of episode one. And so now here we are two years later, 73 episodes and counting. The reason for the delay, not only did we have, we had a lot going on with the rollout of the book, but we also had the major news that we can, we actually can break here is that the audio book for the book of Quint, those rights have been licensed. The unabridged audio book for the book of Quint has been licensed to Tantor Media, who is located in the United States, and they are in the casting stages right now for the audio book. And Tantor is, they are a subsidiary of RB Media Global. Now, our, who are who is RB Media? Is the largest audiobook publisher in the world with a catalog of over 60,000 titles. They represent the world's largest collection of audiobooks in the industry. They publish and distribute over 8,000 new titles every year. One Oprah Book Club pick in 2023, one Grammy Award in 2023. They had 66 New York Times bestsellers in 2022 seven Pulitzer Prize winners and finalists in 2022, numerous uh, National Book Award winners, and one Academy Award winner. So what are we looking at here? We are looking at the largest audiobook maker in the world, a subsidiary of that, Tantor Media, has licensed the Book of Quint. And this is going to be a big production. They are going. They, they work with some very great narrators. They're in the casting stage right now for a narrator. I wanted to make sure that whoever they choose as the narrator, for anyone that started reading the book of Quint, it is not a single narrative book. There are many points of view, POVs, that are used throughout the book. There are some tricky areas, that, and that is why I was what I was doing in the last few weeks was I went through the book again, once again, and I made narrator notes. So I went through the whole book and I flagged different areas and I wrote notes down for whoever will be narrating. I do not know who it is yet. And now they have a file where they can go through the entire book in certain areas, maybe where characters, I have background information on the different characters and what accents they have, especially at the beginning with the men in the water. So many of those men were from all over the country, so they have different accents and also the ways of pronouncing names or nautical terms or military terms. Those, I really wanted the narrator to have all the tools to their best ability in order to perform and make a very dynamic audiobook. So that is all done. That has been sent off to Tantor Media. They are in the casting stage right now, but very exciting that the Book of Quint was licensed by the biggest audiobook maker in the world. For anyone that's looking for a news headline or to make Jaws news, that is not a small fact right there. That means the Book of Quint will only grow and its bubble will only increase. The reach will only get more and more massive. With audiobooks now becoming $4.5 billion industry in 2022, projected to grow to a $10 billion industry in 2027. 
audiobooks are now becoming more of a popular way of consuming books by readers around the world. I have fielded numerous requests about the audiobook from listeners out there in the Jaws obsession. If you're a forklift driver or if you have long commutes to work, many people will will buy the audiobook and and prefer to read their book that way. What is exciting about this is that even if you have already read the book of Quint or if you prefer to read the traditional way on paper, the audiobook will serve as an extra feature now where you will be able to enjoy the book in a different form and maybe pick up uh, different nuances or different uh, angles or different aspects that the narrator might pick up on. And uh, it's going to only increase your enjoyment of the story of the novel. And that's exciting. I'm excited to hear it myself. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. So that's what we're looking forward to. I don't have a release date yet. I'm expecting it to be sometime in January with the U.S. rollout, but uh, we'll have to wait on that. But for now, Tantor Media, they are the ones, they're in the driver's seat on the audiobook. Big news right there. So that's why the delay was I wanted to focus on that. So I couldn't get to recording aside from working as well. There was just been really bit, just been really busy going through uh, Thanksgiving here in the United States and then getting the, the, the narrator's notes done, trying to partition my mind out in order to tackle and conquer some of these big projects. And the uh, broadcast had to take a back seat. So now I'm back here. Just dialing back, let's just review. November 15th, we had The Book of Quint was released over in the UK. But the U.S. release date is for January 23rd still. That is still active, that it hasn't been published in the U.S. yet. But in the U.K., it's gone live. And so some of those vendors are sending books over to here in the United States. We had ebooks. Ebook has gone live on three different platforms. We have Kindle, we have Apple iBooks, and we have Google Books. So the ebook is available on those three platforms. If you go and search there for the Book of Quint, you can even type my last name, Ryan Daco. That will pull up the Book of Quint for you if you want to read it that way. What is very interesting is, and I'm going to get to this because I know I'll forget later on, is that Google Books and Kindle are both offering a free Uh, download a preview to the Book of Quint. So even if you haven't been able to, if you're still on, if you're here stateside in North America, or if you haven't been able to uh, get your uh, copy of the Book of Quint yet, you can actually download right to your phone uh, via Google Books or Apple or Kindle. You can actually download the first 10 chapters of the book. Uh, That is a, a very generous preview that they have given for the Book of Quint. So one of the homework uh, that you're going to have, everybody's going to have to have some homework here over the next few episodes, is to go and read the prologue to the Book of Quint, because I would like to start talking about the Book of Quint, and uh, it will become spoiler world now, because now that the book is out, we're going to have to get, we're just we're going to close this window down to where everybody will, will be on the same page and we'll all be reading the Book of Quint, learning about an expanded Jaws universe, learning about the new characters that are introduced. And that is why I would like everybody to go over to Google Books. Just all you have to do is go to Google, type in the Book of Quint. You can put my last name in. 
Daco, D-A-C-K-O. The Google Books will, link will come up. Just hit preview. You can read the prologue. You can actually see we are looking at expanding the Jaws universe, but in a very unique way that I did not even realize it was a possibility until I embarked on this project. And I would like to talk about that prologue to the Book of Quint in upcoming episodes in the very, very near future. So without having to cause spoilers, please go over there after you listen to this broadcast and go read the prologue to the Book of Quint. Very exciting. We're getting great reviews. Even though the U.S. release date is January 23rd, that hasn't stopped some U.S. readers from getting the book. We've had, you can go on eBay right now. There are vendors on eBay that have acquired books from the U.K., and are selling them stateside to the United States, shipping them out there. A lot of that shipping is included in the price of the novel. We have Blackwells. If everyone goes to the link tree that is in the link that's in the description of this broadcast, you'll be able to go to a lot of these different vendors. But Blackwells is still shipping over to the U.S. A lot of the U.K. vendors are shipping. Blackwells has their shipping included into the price. So it's less than $20, I think, and uh, the book will be shipped right to you. And you get the UK edition. Remember, there's going to, I believe there's going to be two editions here. The UK, if you turn it over on the back, if you look at that ISBN number, it's going to be in pounds, English currency, on the Book of Quint as it is now. And I believe that has to transfer over to US dollars and uh, Canadian dollar currency amounts for the ones that are going to be sold here in the United States. So there's going to be two different editions and you'll know which one came from where by just by looking at that. Reviews are coming in. Amazing reviews are coming in over on Goodreads. Those of you that have left a review, I can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for the five-star reviews that are coming in across the board over at Goodreads, Waterstones over in the UK, Barnes & Noble here in the US, Amazon and Kindle and Google that you can go there and you can leave reviews for the novel. If you leave a five-star review in your Kindle or for Amazon, that will transfer, those transfer over to all the Amazon platforms. So if you're on Amazon UK, you leave a five-star review, it actually counts for Amazon US and, uh, and the other Amazon countries, Amazon Spain, Amazon Brazil now is carrying the Book of Quint. So uh, that's re really nice to see that all those aggregate, they all collect. So it, your voice can be heard. Do you support the Book of Quint? What did you think about it? And would it make a great movie? That is going to be important as we get through this episode, because that's where we're coming down to. We're coming down to crunch time. Universal Pictures, we're coming down to crunch time here. And we have to make our voices heard. How do we do that? We do that through the Book of Quint. And uh, that was always the plan here. Remember, that was always the plan here with the Jaws obsession was that we were going to make a noise as a fan base to actually not resurrect a franchise, but actually give the movie Jaws its due justice. Don't let Jaws the Revenge be the final stamp, the final memory that punchline what Jaws turned into. There's something we can do here to lift up Jaws and to celebrate it as we approach the 50th anniversary of the film in 2025. That is still a possibility here, and we have to make our voices heard. And, that, and we are doing that. The fans have done it. We're going to get to the headlines here in a little bit. The reviews are coming in so many through all the platforms where this, where this show is broadcast on. I won't be able to read all of them on the show. 
over on YouTube, we had a user ZombieGrease72 uh, said that he just ordered his copy from Walmart and they were selling out very quick. That's right. Walmart had a limited amount of copies that ended up selling out on Black Friday. A couple small vendors were offering the book from the UK via Walmart. This user, his quote was, I just got my copy. My God, I just started reading and I'm floored. This book is a game changer for the Jaws franchise. Yes, I agree. Thank you very much for that comment. Grease 72 over on YouTube. He, yes, that is, it's true that this is a game changer. And it doesn't take you very long as you start reading the novel to see how this can not only enhance your enjoyment of Jaws, but how this will change how you view Jaws going forward. It's giving you the Godfather 2 treatment. It's giving, that's, what, that, that's what we're doing here. We're giving Jaws the Godfather 2 treatment. And how would Godfather be perceived if Godfather 2 was never made? What if it was just Godfather went right to Godfather 3? Wouldn't it be a punchline? Well, that's not what we They had Godfather 2, which is considered one of the best sequels ever made. Some consider it greater than the original. I don't. But what happens is it gives context to the first movie, and it makes you enjoy the first Godfather even more. And that's what we're doing here. That's what this novel allows you to do. In many ways, we're not, we're not waiting for Universal Pictures. Universal Studios, they're going to be doing what they do. What we're doing is we're using our imaginations. We're re we are actually using that age-old classic device called the novel. Printed word. The printed word. They can't take it from us. Remember that. Remember that scene in Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne, he said he, he was just got out of solitary confinement. He goes, I had Beethoven to keep me company. And the prisoner says, what did you, uh, did you let, did they let you tote that record player down there with you? And he said, no, I had it in my head. That's something they can't take from me. And that's true. That is so true is that they can't take that from us. We have a printed word. We have the written novel and you have your imagination. You're going to watch this movie in your mind. And it's going to be, it's going to change the way you see Jaws. And that's exciting here because we're riding on this uh, creative crest. 50 years after the movie was, uh, after the book was written, that Jaws is still can be a platform for creativity. And we are highlighting that here. Adrian also wrote in from London, UK over on our email here. You can email the show at JawsOB2025 at gmail.com. Um, Adrian writes in, he says, Ryan, hello, I have been in touch once before. I asked about the authenticity of Robert Shaw's accent. Thanks for mentioning it, mentioning it on the podcast. I am only three quarters of the way through the book of Quint, despite starting it the day it was released. The reason being that I have had to stop and reread every chapter at least twice, sometimes three times. There is so much precision, so much detail, and so much subtlety in each paragraph, or often even in each sentence, that it is, impo it, that it is impossible to skim read. Awesome is an overused word, but in this case, it applies. The Book of Quint isn't a spinoff from Jaws. It's an equal to Jaws. This is the absolute highest praise. Trust me, I do not say that lightly. Very best wishes and thanks for all that you and John Tedder have done and are continuing to do. Farewell and adieu, Adrian in London, UK. Thank you, Adrian, for writing in. Uh, and Adrian is very well versed in the nautical knowledge, spent time on the water. He has also seen the detail that went into this novel. Thank you, Adrian. It's the highest compliment to say it is equal to Jaws. 
which is what my goal was. I remember when I first embarked on this project, it was saying, can I write a novel that will be equal to Peter Benchley and give Jaws its due justice? With these words of encouragement and the words and the and these reviews that are coming in, I am very, very, very grateful. It just creates more of an excitement in the air, more of an energy with every great re- review like Adrian just said. To be at this stage in the uh, mountain as we keep climbing, and we have a lot more to climb. Trust me, there's so much more to do um, that we can't sit back and say, wow, we did it. We're still going up that hill. But it's nice from this view when you look back, Whenever, if anyone's ever climbed a mountain before or climbed a giant hill, when you're halfway up or three quarters of the way up, you look back, it's still a good looking view, <laughs> but it's going to be even better if we keep going. So the five-star reviews that are coming in on Goodreads and on Amazon, those mean so much because it helps the algorithm and it helps bump up search algorithms up to where the book recommendations start coming in. When people search for Jaws, they might get the Book of Quint that comes up because it's been reviewed a few times. So it gives more, it gives it more validity. And that's what I'm asking everybody to do, especially the early Book of Quint readers. If you have read the Book of Quint, if you could take a few minutes to of your time to go and uh, log on to Amazon, um, just go to their Kindle app. You can put a five-star review in there a few words of what you thought of the book. You can also do this in various vendors, uh, barnesandnoble.com, walmart.com. You can go to Waterstones. There's all places for reviews now, and it all and it helps. It really does. And look at all these Amazon reviews that are coming in. We have Libby wrote in, five-star review, powerful. This novel has you hooked in chapter one and doesn't let go. I wrote a roller coaster of emotions throughout Suspense increases with each turn of a page. Even if you never heard of Jaws, the Book of Quint would be a standalone success. Uh, Michael Murray comes in. A great read. Five stars. A great read for any Jaws fan. Well written and a delightful plot. Highly recommend to anyone who enjoyed Jaws, the movie or book. Uh, Mary Kay writes in. Great book. Five stars. If you like the movie Jaws, then you will love this. Well written and gripping. This would make a great movie. Well done, Ryan. We're seeing a common trend here uh, with some of these reviews where it laterals it over to a possible movie and where readers automatically read the book and then they think, wow, I just watched this movie. It would make a great movie. That's just a natural reaction to the Book of Quint from Australia. Call Me Ishmael is, and that's a reference to Moby Dick, the the novel by Herman Melville, the famous opening line there in chapter one, Call Me Ishmael. Uh, So this reviewer uh, we have to think he knows his literature. He definitely knows his seafaring literature here, if he's going to have a username like that. And he writes and he says, with his debut novel, Ryan Daco has delivered a worthy sequel slash prequel to Peter Benchley's legendary Jaws. Interestingly, Daco takes much of his inspiration for the Book of Quint from Spielberg's iconic film, adapted from Benchley's novel, showing that his effort is both from and for the Jaws movie fans. Quint's legendary Indianapolis monologue from the Jaws movie provides the springboard for Daco's prequel, and he's thrown everything he has in the wheelhouse to deliver an original, well-formulated, and utterly genuine origin story that both embraces and evolves Jaws canon deftly fleshing out scenarios and providing credible explanations for both character motivations and situational contexts 
that arise in both Benchley's novel and Spielberg's film. One of Daco's genius conceits is his explanation for Amity's shark problem. On this point alone, he exceeded every expectation I had of his book. Let me stop right there. That is so important. And I want to thank you for that sentence right there. He exceeded every expectation I had of his book. On just this point alone, the explanation in the book of Quint for Amity's shark problem, um, that's, that's very important because I knew that going into this, Jaws fans are very particular. They're expecting to see the very best. And that's what I set out to do. And it's apparent that everybody is on the same page here. Um, when he says credible explanations, providing credible explanations for both character motivations and situational context, that's exactly the same page that I, I was hoping everybody could be on because this novel was not a last minute flash in the pan. It was not something that, uh, that I took lightly. So these, these reviews mean so much to me because this allows other people, other that might not hear the Jaws obsession, that are searching through Amazon, stumble upon this and they say, okay, I'm going to give this, this book of Quint a, uh, a chance here. And that means so much going forward as we're going to talk soon about uh, what's happening with Universal. But first, let's continue on here. With the rest of this review, he says, Daco knows his Jaws lore, and he weaves it through his telling of the early years of salty and manic shark fisherman Quint. Daco tips his hat to several memorable instances from the film and expands on these moments, giving us a glimpse into what motivated certain lines of dialogue or events. When Daco isn't too literal with his throwbacks, these homages work well. However, and this is my only criticism of the book, at times his references feel derivative and contrived. There are two instances in particular wherein characters deliver dialogue word for word from the Jaws film. I found these salutes to the movie to be unnecessary, and they actually pulled me from the tightly wrought and earnest telling of Quint's tragic and cathartic tale. This small criticism aside, Daco triumphantly succeeds where a slew of film sequels and novelizations have failed so miserably. He gives us a riveting, meaningful, and revelatory story that adds to the Jaws universe without exploiting it. Let me stop right there again. And a very, very precise commentary there. He's honest. He didn't agree with some of the references he felt that were derivative and contrived. But he also says that it triumphantly succeeds where a slew of film sequels and novelizations have failed so miserably. And that he says it adds to the Jaws universe without exploiting it, which is what I wanted to do. That's very important here is that Jaws has been exploited enough. It needs to be celebrated and treated like the greatest movie of all time that it is. Okay. We recently played Quentin Tarantino in one of the previous episodes where he said that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. When you think of the movie, a movie, a summer blockbuster, Jaws is the greatest. So uh, we are not insane over here at the Jaws, Jaws Obsession when we say that Jaws is the greatest movie of all time. And a, and, and a greatest movie of all time should have a prequel slash sequel with sequel elements. So this is a prequel with sequel elements, as you will read with your homework when you read the pro prologue to the Book of Quint that that is what Jaws deserves. 
and it's not exploiting it. It's paying tribute. It's paying homage. It is celebrating Jaws. We're all on the same page here. It's great to see this. So Amazon user Call Me Ishmael from Australia finishes up here. He says, at one point, Daco's premise was seriously considered as a sequel to the box office smashing Spielberg film, but ultimately abandoned as the studio believed it strayed too far from the source material. How wrong they were. Daco gives us the sequel we want and most certainly the sequel we deserve. If Universal has any business acumen left and wish to reinvigorate one of their most successful and mistreated franchises, they'll be purchasing the right to Daco's novel and paying him to write the screenplay. Uh, Ryan Daco shows us that there was a reason we didn't go in the water well before Bruce and his rendering of Quint's early years are a masterpiece of storytelling and characterization, a must-read for any Jaws fan worth their salt and hopefully the next summer blockbuster film. Five stars right there. That's a five-star review. Now that is great to read. And yes, for this reader in Australia who wrote this, yes, I agree about uh, with, with Universal. We're approaching Universal to present this to them, but also... Uh, this has already been drafted into a screenplay by myself. So there is a screenplay out there right now that ha that is with uh, the William Pettit Agency in Atlanta, Georgia. My agent, Bill Pettit, has the screenplay, and uh, it's a launching pad. Could it be tweaked? Could it be modified? That's up for Hollywood. That's up for Universal to decide. But I can honestly say that I was able to take the novel to the best of my ability. And so nothing was lost from translation from book to screen. So uh, that's the screenplay that I said would make a, a decent one or two movies. Put it out like that. That process is already in the works. But yeah, yeah, masterpiece of storytelling and characterization. That's what, those are strong words. See, do, I mean, we have to realize these are strong words by people that, uh, that love the movie Jaws uh, by readers that have read a lot of books. To get this type of strong wording and five-star reviews, we have something special here. And we have to, uh, and that has to, be, that has to be held in the highest regard at this point. And it's exciting because the last four weeks, we have seen something that has never been done before. And I have uh, some headlines here because what I've noticed is that there's been a little bit of a muted reception from the powers that be, whether if you have a Jaws website or if you have a Jaws fan site or if you are a fan of horror movies or if you are a fan of cinema, I don't think we have realized what we actually have here. So I have five headlines here, which I want to get to, which I, these are open to anybody who, anybody who has a, a site that they want to write an article on to break the news to your uh, listeners, I can guarantee you, you'll get some clicks with these headlines. So I'm going to start from the top. We're going to go from five all the way till one. Okay. So number five. So these are headlines that we have that were made. This is at hot off the presses. These were made in the last three to four weeks in order to celebrate what we have coming into the world here that just happened. Now, because it's a staggered publication, we're actually building up to the main launch of January 23rd, which is the springboard of the U.S. release of the Book of Quint. There is actually a buildup here 
and that's where we're in. But right now, we can still have headlines. And these headlines are, are very interesting. So it's all how you frame it. So this is the, the lens that you look at. What just happens, let's, let's look at it through this lens. Headline number five. First novelization of Peter Benchley's characters to reach worldwide publication since 1987. That's right. Since Jaws the Revenge by Hank Searles, there hasn't been a Jaws novel published since 1987. What are we looking at? Uh, 87, that's 36 years. So we're looking at 36 years that no one has ever published a novelization of Jaws characters with permission from the Benchley family in 36 years. This is a first. So we were the first to do it. All right. So the Book of Quint is the first to do that in 36 years. That is very important here. Okay. That is, that is a headline right there worthy of uh, a retrospective. How many novelizations were done of Peter Benchley's characters? I have on my shelf, I have Jaws. I have Jaws 2 by Hank Searles. I have Jaws the Revenge by Hank Searles. And now I have The Book of Quint by Ryan Dacko. So we're, that's what we're looking at here. This is, this is groundbreaking. I mean, just what if there was another novel that was published using the characters of, let's say, Mario Puzo, and that came into uh, the world? What would the reception be like? And if it was, it was given permission by the family of Mario Puzo, there'd be a lot of excitement. And that's what we're looking at here. So that's headline number five. First novelization of Peter Benchley's characters in 36 years to reach worldwide publication. Now remember, this is worldwide publication. And this is around the world. I'm hearing rumors now that it's even going to be released in South America, that there is, all, there is a Spanish translation on the horizon. And more of that to follow later on. I just have to get a few more confirmations in on that. But we're talking other languages here because there is a demand for the Book of Quint. Exciting to see. Why is there a demand? Because Jaws fans know no boundaries. Jaws transcends generational and societal and national boundaries. It just, it goes because it's a universal story. And that's what we're doing here. So that was headline number five. Headline number four, we're counting down the top five headlines here that were made in the last three weeks. Number four is Hatchard's, the oldest bookstore in London, is now carrying the Book of Quint. That's right. Booksellers since 1797. Hatchard's is London's oldest bookshop, having been established in 1797 by John Hatchard, a publisher and anti-slavery campaigner, Hatchard's has been a landmark on one of the finest and most famous streets in the world, Piccadilly, since Georgian times, occupying the current building, number 187. Hatchard's may be over two centuries old, but it combines the best of the new with a fine old tradition. A limited edition art book, the latest bestseller, a portable paperback, or a classic children's storybook are all on the shelves. The Book of Quint is now listed with Hatchards. It's now in stock over at Hatchards. It's a very great honor to see that, just to see the book carried there. Remember, this was a traditionally published novel. This wasn't an easy feat to do. And with the help of Dave Bowen and Amberly Publishing, that, we were, that they were able to make this happen. And that should be celebrated. That should be celebrated. And to see it listed over at Hatchards, is exciting. It's great to see. There's reviews there. I, we have four, uh, four five-star reviews are already over there. Uh, very great to see. So that's headline number four. The London's oldest bookshop since 1797 is now listing the Book of Quint.
exciting, exciting news. What's headline number three? Headline number three, first Jaws novel to be labeled a bestseller since Jaws in 1974. Even in pre-sale, the Book of Quint has already received its first bestseller label. And where was that? That was over here in the U.S. If you go to walmart.com, over in Walmart's book section, they dropped the bestseller label on the Book of Quint. Now, this was what is so exciting, is that there was a major demand, and the few books that were available there uh, for shipping to arrive before Christmas sold out very fast. Now, what happened was it's uh, Walmart's either algorithm or the Walmart site slapped the bestseller label on the Book of Quint. So there was the Book of Quint, and it's still labeled uh, bestseller. If you go over to our link tree that's in the description of this broadcast, you can actually go to the Walmart link and you can see bestseller right above the Book of Quint title there. But what's interesting is that you can see now with all these other bestseller lists, Stephen King, The Shining, uh, James Patterson, Manhunt, Margaret Atwood, and there's little old Book of Quint resting right in the middle of all these Titanic names and Titanic titles that are also listed as bestsellers on walmart.com. So the, this would be the first Jaws-related novel to be labeled a bestseller anywhere since Jaws 1974. Big news. Happy. Exciting, right? We should be, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's amazing to see this fast. And remember, Walmart, it really, we're not available on Walmart until January. So this was oh, about two months before the release in the United States. Walmart's already calling the Book of Quint a bestseller. Now, Walmart is the largest retailer in the United States, over 4,000 stores. Uh, it's not small by any means. So to be called a bestseller there is, is exciting, and it should be noted, and it should be, uh, it should be celebrated. And we should be sitting there going, all right, this is great, because you know who's also watching? Universal. That's right, Universal Pictures. We have a bestseller for you. Now it's time to go to that next step, because the fans are speaking. More on that in a little bit. So that was number three, was the first Jaws novel to be labeled a bestseller. That was the, uh, that is a, the number three headline. Very exciting. Book of Quint bestseller, according to Walmart, little store called Walmart. Very exciting. Now let's go on to number two. So we did five, four, three. The number two headline is Total Film Magazine gives four stars, Book of Quint. That's exciting right there. So in the... Uh, latest issue of Total Film Magazine. Now, this is the Christmas 2023 issue, not the December 2023 issue. In the Christmas 2023 issue, which has the 2024 preview, on page 100, there is a book section. And if you look down in the corner, there is a review, The Book of Quint uh, by Ryan Daco, Amberly Publishing, four stars. And Matt Looker is the book critic that reviews The Book of Quint he writes, as we sail towards the 50th anniversary of Jaws, both the book, 1974, and the blockbuster, 1975, here's a timely prequel novel focused on shark hunter Quint, as played by Robert Shaw on screen, as he fights for survival in the wake of the sinking of the USS Indianapolis at the end of World War II. Offering a meticulous understanding of the character, author Daco is host of the Jaws Obsession podcast, this backstory is awash with gripping trauma and tension, 
It also enriches the originals via some valuable, respectful context. It also enriches the original via some valuable, respectful context. Four stars, Book of Quint. And very interestingly, and I don't think things happen for uh, by coincidence. There are no coincidences here in life. There are no coincidences in the Jaws obsession. Everything happens for a reason. And on page 100, if you look up, there's a Spielberg book. The Spielberg, uh, Spielberg, the first 10 years, is also given a four-star review by Matt Glasby. And if you look to the left, there's a BFI film classics retrospective of It's a Wonderful Life, also given four stars by Kevin Harley. It's a Wonderful Life is a, is a, one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite actors of all time, Jimmy Stewart. So you have Spielberg up on top, then you have the Book of Quint right there. And who is on the cover of this issue? We have the movie Argyle front and center, and there's Henry Cavill. And Henry Cavill, in, uh, in our opinion over here, is he would be great to play Quint in the uh, prequel to Jaws. Uh, now it's just that issue right there was just uh, such a big thing. It was a, such a big step because it is the first global review in a global publication, Total Film Magazine, out of the UK, and it's distributed around the world. First big review in a global publication for the Book of Quint, and it was a good one. And it featured right there. Very exciting to see, just in time for Christmas, the Christmas issue, two thousand twenty-three. And uh, that right there is a headline and a half. The Book of Quint is called A Wash with Gripping Trauma and Tension. Quote, Total Film Magazine, four stars, exciting times. That was the number two headline. Also over on our Instagram, at Book of Quint, over at Instagram.com, I did a post there that showed what the cover looks like, as well as took some uh, images of the page 100. So you can actually uh, go over there and read that review. Very exciting. That was the number uh, that was the number two headline in our top five headlines that were just made in the last three weeks. And the number one headline. We've got a drum roll here. Number one headline is The Book of Quint is the first Jaws novel to crack the top 50 in horror thriller paperbacks for Amazon UK. That's correct. The first time ever that Peter Benchley's characters cracked the top 50 in horror and thriller paperback in Amazon UK. There was no Amazon back in 1974. I'm not saying that the, the Book of Quinn is selling as much as Jaws was, but what I'm trying to say is this is the first time Peter Benchley's characters cracked the top 50 in horror and thriller paperback for Amazon UK. And that is a huge headline. Why is that a huge headline? And if anyone uh, wants it, Email me over here. I have the screenshots to prove it because we were all watching the metrics come in. You can watch and you can see what the top sellers are doing. It's a live stat and you can see that the, they, they move every hour on the hour. They move up and down, up and down. And uh, to see the Book of Quint reach as high as number 25 on the top selling paperbacks in the horror and thriller genre was uh, exciting to see. And that was after the release uh, you, we were just, and remember, we have not focused on Amazon. These are, that's a small metric compared to the book of Quint is being offered in bookstores and retail stores across the UK, across Europe. And so Amazon is a, just a partial figure, but for the book of Quint to actually reach as high as number 25 
uh, shoe, it, it was shoehorned right in the middle. Number 23 was The Shining by Stephen King. Number 26, American Psycho by Brett, Brett Easton Ellis. Of course, that was, that was our high point, the longevity of those Titanic titles by those authors to stay in the top 50 and top 100 um, decades after they were released is beyond words. Now, the Book of Quint obviously is going to be realistic and settle back down, and it's going to go up and down. Uh, should it get optioned into a movie uh, by Universal uh, Pictures, then we are going to see it pogo back up. And that's what's exciting about this. But for the time being, with just what we've been doing here with the Jaws Obsession, with the ground campaign that we formed, with you, the listener out there, everybody went out there and has been talking about it. And then just by word of mouth, you were able to get the Book of Quint to number 24 in the entire genre of horror thriller paperbacks in the United Kingdom on Amazon. Top 50. That was so impressive. I was so proud of that to see that happen. And that is a headline, that is the top headline right there, that we haven't had Peter Benchley's characters crack the top 50 in Amazon ever. And it had, then here we are right here in the top 50. How exciting is that? And that shows you that the fans are showing up and making their voices heard. Jaws fans are now speaking. Remember, we are talking to Universal here is that these five headlines, especially that first headline, shows there is a demand for, the, for Jaws to get the prequel it deserves. It is not a dying franchise. This franchise has not been forgotten. For the paperback to reach top 50, what do we think the audiobook is going to do? That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to find out here. That was what is so exciting about the next two to three months is we are going to see, we are seeing in a real-time scenario, in a concrete way, we are seeing the fans make their voices heard in a way that no franchise have ever, has ever had this luxury. Maybe Jurassic Park, but that was already an established novel and its sequel there. What we're looking at is everybody is standing together and in one voice expressing that this could be a popular feature film if the novel is also popular. So there it is. That's so exciting with those top five headlines. Now, why are those headlines important? Why are those headlines so important? We are at a point here where I have a news headline here that is going to tell us why it is so important that we actually enjoy and celebrate this moment and this, this novel called The Book of Quint. I have an article here from InsideTheMagic.net. Universal Studios closing yet another classic attraction. And this was posted on November 21st, 2023. So November 21st, 2023. It's an article written by Chloe James. And it states here, it says, No need for a bigger boat because one Universal Studios theme park is saying goodbye to its Jaws 1975 ride, at least for now. It's been nearly 50 years since Jaws hit theaters, but the film is still synonymous with classic horror. Focused on a great white shark terrorizing beachgoers, Steven Spielberg is credited with conceiving the concept of a blockbuster with its release, which is probably why it still has such a prominent presence at theme parks today. The first attraction inspired by Jaws debuted in Universal Studios Florida in 1990. 
inspired by a short segment from the Universal Studios Hollywood Studio Tour, which still exists today. This saw guests embark upon a guided scenic cruise before being attacked by the iconic shark. While the ride's realistic animatronic was widely regarded as, as one of the most iconic in the industry, it was removed from the Universal Orlando Resort Park in 2012 to make space for the expansion of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Today in Florida, Harry Potter and the, and the escape from the Gringotts sits in its place, although you can still see the hanging shark statue in the park's Fisherman Wharf area as a tribute to the ride. Today, the only remaining Universal Studios ride entirely based on Jaws resides in Osaka, Japan. The attraction opened with the rest of Universal Studios Japan in 2001, serving as the flagship for its Amity Island area. It remains popular to this day, but will soon be off limits to guests, bringing the grand total of operating Jaws attractions worldwide to zero. According to USJ1, that's a site here, uh, that's a Japanese site, Jaws will close on January 9th, 2024 with no confirmed reopening date. The closure is currently listed on the Japanese sales page for Express Pass, but has not yet been added to the park's temporary closure schedule. So what we have here is reports that is a report that Universal Studios Japan is closing the last remaining Jaws ride um, after Orlando closed and after the Universal Studios Orlando closed theirs a while ago and uh, replaced it with an expansion of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So I bring up this article at this time to sort of justify the first, uh, uh, the first half of this episode 73 is uh, as we move into, and we're actually going to learn a little bit about Universal Studios uh, and Universal uh, and, and what happened with the uh, Roger Castell painting that was used for the poster of Jaws. But what we're seeing here is we're seeing a phase out of the Jaws universe, of the Jaws franchise that... Uh, it is uh, that Universal possibly thinks it is no longer relevant. Now, I don't think the alarm is just yet because this was in this was recently announced uh, back in November. So November 21st was this article, and something uh, has happened with the Jaws universe. In on November 15th was the a publication of the Book of Quint, which is the prequel to Jaws. During this time. Uh, we do know that Bill Pettit, Agent Bill Pettit, has been approaching different production companies, up to and including Universal, with the information of the Book of Quint. There is an ex there's a year's worth of prep work that has gone into uh, book to screen development that uh, that we are dealing with here. So we are hitting the ground running after the uh, strikes are about to be settled up. And I personally believe that your voice, as you're listening to this, as, as a Book of Quint reader, as a Jaws fan, your voice has never been so empowered at this moment in time. Uh, we are talking if almost 50 years later, Universal is, uh, they, they have closed down the Jaws ride of Orlando, in Orlando, Florida. They are now slated to close down the Jaws ride in 
Osaka, Japan, Universal Studios, Japan. So what do you think they think of the Jaws franchise? How do you think they perceive the movie Jaws? Is it gaining in popularity or is it losing popularity? And that's what we are here to change. We are here to change that narrative. And that is so important. Now, the Book of Quint couldn't be released at a better time because now we are showing Universal, stop the presses. Don't close the Osaka, Japan, Universal Studios, Japan Jaws ride just yet because you might want to uh, uh, reinvigorate the Jaws franchise that you might see a resurgence in people going to see the Jaws ride. Why? Because with a big screen adaptation, with a film adaptation, and let's just put it, let's just say it like it is. Let's just come out and say it. Should Steven Spielberg decide to helm a prequel to Jaws to bookend his storied career by directing a prequel to the movie that started the summer blockbuster? Should he want to contend with Avatar 3 in the summer of 2025? And should the Book of Quint be made into a feature film that becomes the billion-dollar tentpole for Universal Studios? What we're going to see is we're going to see a feature film, but we're going to see two, maybe possibly three, orcas, screen-used orcas rebuilt in various states as we do see in the Book of Quint. Uh, very exciting. Could these orcas then be brought to each of the Universal Studios in California, in Florida, and over in Osaka, Japan? And could tourists from all around the world be able to visit these orcas and actually take your photo with them or actually see them in person? Wouldn't that be an attraction, Universal Studios? And so, uh, to Universal Pictures, wouldn't that be an amazing development? So I did a double check here because we did have the, the Book of Quint has been released. It is making headlines. We are, it, it is going around the world and it is being enjoyed by the Jaws fan base at this time. So what I did was I did a, a double check before I went on the air with this Universal Studios Japan. And look at what we have here. We have the Jaws ride that is slated uh, for temporary closure now, January 9th, 2024. In the article, January 9th, 2024, it was going to close with, with no date of reopening. But now, what do we see here? We see a reopening on January 31st, 2024 scheduled. So the Jaws ride is going to come back January 31st, 2024. What pray tell what is going to happen before then. January 23rd is the United States, North America, Canada rollout of the Book of Quint. I won't presume to say that the Book of Quint is single-handedly doing this, but I, I have to be a believer here in that there is still a pulse in the Jaws universe as it stands right now, and Universal Studios Japan has slated the Jaws ride to reopen in January 31st, 2024. So it's only going to go down for about, only it's only going to go down for 20 days. All very interesting and all great. The need for your noise right now, the voice of the Jaws fan has never been more dire. We are at a, a precipice. We are at a crossroads here. Uh, from what I understand, the 50th anniversary of Jaws, no one even knows what's going to happen with that over on Martha's Vineyard. 
uh, there aren't any concrete plans. Universal Studios is not really marshalling the forces around a 50th anniversary or whatever. And should they, even if they did, is it just going to be a retrospective, the same old, same old that we've had? And not saying that those are wrong, but there is so much more to the story here. And that is what we are trying to convince Universal. So at this time, I implore the Jaws media, the Jaws fan sites, the Jaws groups, and your thousands of uh, memberships in these Jaws groups on Facebook, uh, if there's message boards, you know where they are. It's time now to make some noise, to talk about the Book of Quint, because this is, I believe, our best shot at propelling Jaws for another 50 years into the future. That there is still life in this franchise, but you just have to be smart about it. We can actually right the wrongs of the past. And, and we'll get to more of this a little bit later about righting the wrongs of the past. But former actors that were in Jaws, you are the dignitaries of, of Jaws. Uh, it's time to rally. And that's what we're looking at here. It's time to rally and uh, this is very real, and it's very exciting. And I'm going to put these links to this article, and you can see the link right here for Universal Studios Japan. Right now, they have the Jaws ride to reopen January 31st, 2024. This is after there were articles written about the Jaws ride closing with no reopening. So what happened? What happened in the last month that could have made this decision for Universal Studios? Could it be that they are contemplating this best-selling novel, at, at, uh, according to Walmart, that the book of Quint is now making waves and that there, this is, this is the real deal. This is not a flash in the pan. This is a uh, well-written novel that's well-received by the fans. Almost every review I see come in, either it's through email or the ones that are posted on these various retail outlets, they all say would be a great movie. And all it is, it's right there. It's right there for the taking. It's exciting here. So that's why I say 2024 is going to be, uh, we are going to be very big here with the Jaws Obsession. I made the decision that uh, we are not in the Jaws Obsession. We are not going to wait for Universal. Uh, we are full speed ahead here. That there are things afoot that we, I have a major announcement in 2024 planned. I can't make it yet because I don't want to take the spotlight off the book of Quint. But this was inspired by Marty Milner one year ago. If anyone remembers episode 50, go back and listen Listen to episode 50, five zero. Uh, the interview with Marty Milner was such a groundbreaking moment, a defining moment for this show, but for myself personally, that that inspired me to go into 11 months of research, which I am finishing up now into something that will bring your enjoyment of Jaws to an all-time high. If you thought the book of Quint was amazing, wait till you see what is on the horizon. I never knew it existed before this whole process. I had to write a novel, and I had to hold this broadcast of the Jaws obsession, this largest analytical engagement with the movie Jaws ever devised. That's what this show is. I had to hold this in order to realize what was right there in front of us all along. And using clues in the movie Jaws, there's more to the story. And the interview with Marty Milner, after that, it was all clear on the path forward. That's why that interview was so important. And we have Mr. Milner, Marty Milner, to thank for that. So big, big developments, big news coming for 2024. We already know that the Jaws 
uh, that the Jaws ride in Universal Studios Japan was going to close with no uh, with no date scheduled to reopen. Now it has a reopening date. What is happening here? We have a groundswell. Let's build on this groundswell and let's push it forward right into the new year. This is very exciting. With that, I'm going to move to the next stage of the show, this Jaws iconography. And we're going to keep in mind now that the, the, the purpose behind the Jaws obsession was always to honor those who made Jaws possible. Not just the big names, the above-the-line names that everybody knows about that we see in all the documentaries, but those names that we might need to know a little bit more about them and a little bit more about their story. Because it was this that this movie was a result of all of these creative endeavors by so many people, that it's take it's going to take us many episodes to highlight everything. But that's what's special about this is that is that this is an ongoing project and it is evolving. It is evolving with every episode, with every day that goes by. It's exciting to see. So let's get into the uh, the main reason why we are here for episode seventy three, Jaws iconography. What's the definition of iconography? Iconography, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, is a noun. It's a pictorial illustration of a subject. It is the collected representations illustrating a subject. Or you can define it as a set of specified or traditional symbolic forms associated with the subject or theme of a stylized work of art. Iconography. And that's where Jaws, what do you think when I say iconic Jaws imagery? What do you think of? We all thought of the same thing at the same time. We all thought of that historic poster, the shark swimming up towards the swimming girl at the top of the water. That is the first image that comes to everybody's mind when they hear Jaws. And that is where, and I know this term is thrown around a lot lately. A lot of people always ter- use that term iconic, iconic. It is truly the Jaws painting that graced the, that was the cover of the novel Jaws that became the movie post- poster. That is truly an iconic piece of artwork that became, that defined the decade, that it defined cinema of the time in the 70s. It also defined what it, what it means to be a blockbuster. Uh, don't take my word for it. Let's go into a documentary called The Shark is Still Working, a Jaws documentary. Let's hear what they say in this documentary about the Jaws poster. The film's poster design, and in the case of Jaws, Few images have become more emblazoned on pop culture than this one. That image is iconic and was responsible for getting a lot of people into the theaters to see Jaws. You know, what kid wouldn't want to go see that movie? It's almost like a a bullet before it hits somebody. And the fact that it leaves it all to your imagination is what, you know, the poster of Jaws did so well. It conveyed all the emotion that is aroused by the fear. And it, you just got it. The minute you look at that image, you got it. Jaws's poster is the Bible of how to do it. You know, it, it's that's all you need to know. You know, you don't need to know about the main characters and their arcs or anything like that. Big shark, pretty girl, bad situation. That was the voice of M. Night Shyamalan, which is the he is the director of The Sixth Sense, writer director of The Sixth Sense, and many many cinematic hits. You also heard Jeffrey Kramer's voice in there who played Leonard Hendricks, Deputy Hendricks, as well as some uh, some other contributors to The Shark is Still Working, the Jaws documentary. And what they're talking about is this 
Iconic image. That painting was done by Roger Castell, and it is with a heavy heart that we have to announce that Roger Castell passed away uh, last month and at the age of 92. He is the artist behind that iconic painting. It's called The Shark by Roger Castell. That's the actual title of the painting. Then that became the Jaws by Roger Castell, which was the Jaws poster when they added the graphics and the the famous font, the Jaws font, above the swimming Chrissy Watkins. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. If you want to go to our show notes over at our Telegram page, I'm going to post a lot of these images that I'm going to be talking about here. From a personal standpoint, I had to go back and ask my mom, Rosemary, that we had the novel, the paperback version of Jaws sitting around the house. And that's when I read it for a book report in second grade. Well, how did we end up at my house getting this novel, Jaws? was because my mom needed a painting or a picture of a shark when I was five years old after watching Clash of the Titans. And every all the guys had a uh, Perseus and all his men had shields with various animals on them. And I wanted a shield with a shark on it, my favorite animal, a shark. So uh, my mom went to... Uh, she went out and got a paperback of Jaws because it had this picture of the shark coming up with the mouth and the teeth. And she used that to make a wooden shield and paint a picture of the shark on the shield. And I remember that to this day. And there's little Ryan running around, five-year-old myself, with this wooden shield with this um, with a rendition of the Jaws shark on it. That's how the book came into the house, and then I would end up reading the novel Jaws and became fascinated enough that I wanted to watch the first movie Jaws. That's how Peter Benchley's Jaws came into my life, but it was definitely through the cover work. Now, uh, through every recording of this broadcast of the of the Jaws obsession, and w- through the writing of the Book of Quint, this Jaws novel, this paperback Jaws novel, has been sitting on my on my desk right underneath uh, my computer monitors here because it's this image that I've always felt that this is where it starts. It starts right here, and I wanted to go into how amazing Roger Castell's work was that. I believe it was the domino, the first domino to fall, uh, that if, uh, that it was because of this painting, because of the terrifying at nature of it, that people bought the novel in droves, that the paperback sold way more than the hardcover. And then when the paperback was selling, that told Zanuck and Brown and Spielberg on the set, because they were already in production of Jaws. That they've uh, that they were saying this book is a big hit. We have to really make a good movie here, and that would put the pressure on to crank out this classic film. Let's start right now with Hollywood Reporter. They did an article on November fifteenth, and this is how I learned of Roger Castell's passing away. November fifteenth was when the Book of Quint was released over in the United Kingdom. I saw its publication, but I also saw this headline on the same day that Roger Castell, the artist whose painting of a shark and a swimmer for the cover of the paperback version of Peter Benchley's Jaws was used as the iconic movie poster for the 1975 Spielberg classic, has died. He was 92 years old. Castell died November 8th, 2023, of kidney and heart failure at a hospice facility in Worcester, Massachusetts. 
his wife of 66 years, Grace, told The Hollywood Reporter. Castell also did the Gone with the Wind-inspired poster for the first Star Wars sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, in 1980, and came up with the posters of such other films as Dr. Faustus, 1967, starring Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, and The Great Train Robbery in 1978, starring Sean Connery. That is one of the two, my two favorite posters ever, would be the Jaws poster, as well as that famous Empire Strikes Back poster with Han Solo and Leia on the front, that painting that was also Roger Castell's artwork. The same artist did both of those. Absolutely an amazing talent, and uh, look what he was able to do. Um, back then, before we had Photoshop and graphic artists and now AI, you that these painters, they, a painter would actually be hired by these book companies to paint a cover. And uh, Benchley is set, I'm going to continue on with this article. Benchley's Jaws was first published by Doubleday in February 1974 with its hardcover art by artist Paul Bacon for his oil painting that would be employed for the Bantam Books paperback edition, Castell tweaked that image, making the shark more toothy and menacing after visiting the American Museum of Natural History in New York to photograph the fish there, which I think is amazing. We have to really respect the process here. And so you have to realize we're going to put a picture of what the, uh, what the double-day hardcover dust jacket image of Jaws had a very abstract looking shark. It was a vague shape that had a frowning mouth and it was swimming up and the girl was with a bathing suit at the top and it was a black background and that imagery was white and off white. Though the cover concept was born in Doubleday's New York City offices in 1974, it was not the publisher's first instinct for Benchley's novel. Uh, this is this is from an article over at Gizmodo by Ben Marks on Collectors Weekly. Instead, Doubleday's design director, Alex Gottfried, asked book illustrator Wendell Miner to depict Amity as seen through the jaws of a shark. He says, Miner recalls, I did a painting looking straight at the shark's open mouth with this seaside village in the distance. I wasn't all that thrilled with the concept. I didn't think it worked, but that was the direction they wanted me to go in. As Castell remembers it, Distel was not a fan of the Doubleday cover and wanted Castell to look at the cover with fresh eyes. Uh, so Roger Castell remembers, he says, he wanted me to read the book to pick out a new part to illustrate, but of course the best part was the beginning, where Chrissy goes into the water. Turns out that Doubleday's concept, if not the execution, was not bad, not so bad after all. Castell did a sketch for Distel and Leon to critique. The only direction Oscar and Len gave me was to make the shark bigger and very realistic. Although the graphic nature of Castell's image, its nudity, not the impending violence, got the paperback banned in Boston, Massachusetts, and St. Petersburg, Florida. Castell remembers it as he says, I thought this was the end of my illustration career. Boy, was I ever wrong. Bantam loved the publicity. It was great for book sales. In fact, the attention lavished on Castell's cover prompted a lawsuit between Doubleday and Bantam. Bantam was taking credit for the entire cover, but Alex said no, it was our concept based on our original design. You can even see the similarity in the typography. It wasn't exactly the same as the paperback and the movie poster, but it was very similar. It was a similar look. I got a fairly decent-sized check out of it, Paul got one too. Doubleday ended up suing Bantam because 
this cover, this painting was so good. And it, it became so iconic that the former, that the hardcover publisher, uh, Doubleday, sued Bantam to get some royalties for it. And it's very interesting. When I look at the, when I look at the novel Jaws, you look up inside this cover here, the printing history. So the uh, Doubleday uh, in February of 74 had uh, first printing, and then all the way to nine printings of the, of the Jaws novel in hardcover, all the way to September of 74. The Book of Month, the Book of Month Club edition published in April of 74. Uh, Reader's Digest condensed book edition published April 74. Then this is when the Roger Castell hit was January of 75. That's when the Castell painting on the front of the Jaws cover novel hit was the uh, Bantam edition in January of 1975. And get this, that went through 16 different printings. The ninth printing being March of 75 and on and on and on. So it went through 16 different printings. This hardcover of Jaws stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for 44 weeks, peaking at number two behind Watership Down. Watership Down. The paperback version was even more successful topping book charts worldwide, and by the time the film ad adaptation debuted in June of 75, the novel had sold 5.5 million copies domestically, a number that eventually reached 9.5 million copies. Worldwide sales are estimated at 20 million copies. So 20 million copies of the paperback worldwide, 5.5 million uh, by the time Jaws was released. So that absolutely eclipsed the hardcover version and then some. And it was all, there. a lot of it was due to this iconic cover painting that graced the front cover. I'm holding it right here. I'm going to include this on our show notes, but it has the Jaws font in blue. And what I always liked about the painting was the, the color. The color has a very eerie greenish blue hue to it. And that is exactly the color of the Atlantic Ocean where Jaws takes place. If you ever go swimming in the North Atlantic, it has this very eerie green color and it, the visibility is horrible. So it, you even can't even see, you cannot even see the shark's lower outline because it disappears into the background on this cover. And it's, it, it just captures the eeriness and the, uh, the horror of the situation all in one image, but the, the use of his, his use of colors and shadows and the, uh, how it's breaking out of the murk that is the Atlantic Ocean towards this innocent girl at the top of the at, on the surface of the water is what captured if uh, uh, everybody around the world what captured their imagination and that's what sold this book and then of course peter benchley's uh, writing sealed the deal um, especially these first couple of chapters it, 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 the the everyone always cites the opening of jaws if you turn around the novel they say from the opening chapter the reader is hooked. That was from Newsday. So most people remember Jaws 
the novel, they re- just remember that opening, which is, uh, which is very, so well written about the attack on Chrissy Watkins. So let's, let's look at the creation of this painting. Um, if what I'm going to use for the title card of this episode is going to be the one and only photograph of Roger Castell painting in, in the middle of painting this, uh, this image. And uh, that's going to be on our title card. But we're also going to have this in our show notes as well as we'll throw some pictures up there on the Instagram page, the announcement for this episode. I want to go into the actual creation of this painting and then the mystery behind how it went missing, which is, which is a very, very sad story. But it has to be noted here. It has to be noted that is it an unsolved mystery. Remember how I have cited in the past episodes that Jaws was making itself, that you would plan it for to be one way and then something would happen on set and it would be made this, it would be made a completely different way. And then we, their stories are very well known about Spielberg's uh, different methods, usage of the barrels because the shark wasn't working. You could have a hundred different ways to prove this of Jaws actually being planned one way and then coming out the next. And one is, is Roger Castell was given the task to redo Paul Bacon's initial concept, that initial hardcover image of a shark coming up. But they they wanted the shark to be bigger, more realistic, just to be bigger and uh, to be more, just to get, get away from the abstract and make it more real. What today has become a pop culture icon actually had very humble beginnings. The art of the swimmer, swimming above the, the great white shark, originated on the cover of the paperback edition of Peter Benchley's novel, Jaws, published by Bantam Books and Oscar Distel, who was the chairman of the company. And always regretted that he didn't put, he didn't sell it to us. This he is the voice of David Brown. But he gave it to us as a publicity thing, so I kid him about it to this day. David Brown, by the way, that's the producer, one of the producers, remember Brown and Zanuck were one of the producers of Jaws. Yeah, so he's citing that this cover art is what they used from the Bantam, from the Bantam, the the paperback cover art, to actually put on the movie poster, which became iconic, and they, they could have made millions of dollars, but the gentleman in charge over at Bantam ended up just giving the art away to Universal as a publicity deal, Instead, uh, they didn't, there were there were no profits seen. This is all from the documentary "The Shark Is Still Working," the Jaws documentary, narrated by Roy Scheider. Might I add, this is the voice of Roy Scheider. One name that is not as well known in the annals of Jaws history is Roger Castell, the artist who created the legendary image. Castell was a seasoned paperback and magazine illustrator working in New York, whose skills were increasingly in demand at the time. And the assignment was simply one among many. Oscar Dissel said, have I got a great book for you. Uh, you'll love it. You can read it over the weekend. They felt the hardcover version wouldn't work on the paperback. I did a very rough sketch and, and they said, that's great. Just make the shark realistic and bigger. Make him very much bigger. I had gone to the Museum of Natural History and I had my camera with me and I said, do you have a shark exhibit in the building? And she said, yes, they do. But it was all down and they were refurbishing. They were uh, cleaning them. 
All the sharks were laying on easels. Uh, they were plaster, and uh, so I had my camera with me. I knew what position I wanted the shark in, and this is the great light that they had laying on an easel being I guess they were dusting it. And uh, that's what I worked from. So we have to realize what the moment was here is that Roger Castell, that's the voice of Roger right there, saying how he went down to the Museum of Natural History in New York City. And he went to look at any sort of shark exhibits that they had. But the sharks they have on display were, they, the, the, there was maintenance going on. So they were laying on their side. They were in a back the back area. So he actually went back there to take photos. And we actually have, uh, I was able, from the, from the help of John Tedder, he was able to send me some of these original photos that Roger Castell took that he used to model the shark. What's very interesting is that he, he took photos of a mako shark, and that mako shark is the mako shark that is, is on display at the Hall of Biodiversity on the first floor of the Muse American Museum of Natural History. The fact that he went while there was maintenance going on at that time, they were laying on their side so he could get right underneath the shark and get in the perfect angle to get the image that he needed. And this is the image you see just in the corner above his arm of the uh, of the 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 picture that we have of him painting the piece of art. I'll put the link for this documentary in our show notes as well. If you see the Roger Castell portion, he's holding the photo that he used as the model for the the shark. And it is the it, it, he says it's the great white in there, but what it is, it is actually there's there's only a handful of sharks that are on display over there. Um, and we actually, I have photos here that I was able to get off the internet from the Hall of Biodiversity. Just, it's right before you walk into the giant room with the with the giant blue whale suspended from the ceiling. We've all, you, you go there, they, they, have, um, they have all sorts of sharks hanging in the air. They have a hammerhead. It looks like they have a bull shark or a tiger shark. They, they have a, but they have a mako shark there. Go right under, and we've all been there. But if you go, if you go into this museum, go underneath that mako shark and look up. That's the that's the that's the one right there. That's the poster for Jaws. That's the shark he used. That's why the shark's uh, teeth on the uh, on the iconic image they're long in proportion. They're not the triangles that a great white would have, because Roger was actually he used the more menacing look of a mako shark. And, um, but that Mako shark is, is famous. You can see right on our show notes. You can also see, I'm going to put them on the Instagram of the, uh, of the Mako shark in question. It's still there. You can walk in and see that, that shark that Rod, that uh, Roger took photos of, uh, it has the flared jaws, uh, the, 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 um, you can see the outline, the snout, as well as the, uh, the, the, the eyes, the, the eye sockets protrude a little bit. They're not sunk in like a great whites are. So uh, very interesting, very interesting stuff that at that right place in time, he was able to go and get the photo, the angle he wanted. Why? Because there just happened to be maintenance going on at that time when he was hired, when he was out there to do, to do research, to get this, uh, to do the modeling for what would be the iconic painting that would redefine cinema as we know it. 
Isn't that amazing how things work out like that around the movie Jaws? That's why it's the greatest movie of all time. So he gets the photos that you see of the shark, but now he also needs a photo of someone swimming. The girl was photographed in the studio in New York. She was a great model. I used her for uh, good housekeeping painting and asked if she would stay another half hour and just swim for this paperback. Uh, you know, told her Jaws. I don't think anyone knew what Jaws was then. Following a photo shoot for good housekeeping, Castell requested the model he was photographing to lie on a stool in the approximate position of a front crawl, like a swimming crawl. After a session with model Allison Mayer, who posed as Chrissy swimming by lying face down on a stool and tabletop, Castell was ready to paint. So he took photos from a good housekeeping photo shoot. He had the model, her name, we got her name as Allison Maher, M-A-H-E-R. And then Castell uh, ended up completing the painting. Castell's take, oil paints on a masonite board, is viciously alive. Streaming bubbles to each side indicate velocity, the shark's head narrowing, narrowing to a bullet snout. Instead of the triangle wedges of a real great white shark teeth, the jaws has a has irregular knife blades sticking out at all angles. Uh, some are even grooved like a like the blood gutter on a bayonet. The image was an instant sensation, and because of its luridness, a woman skinny dipping, menaced by blades. Castell's paperback Jaws cover was banned in Boston and St. Petersburg, Florida when the movie went into production. Bantam agreed to the image's use in the movie poster, in the movie's poster. The painting went out to Hollywood and had an agency working on the poster, and that was the last I heard of it, Castell said. So that brings us to the enduring mystery of the missing painting. This is uh, the story does not have a happy ending. Before we go into that, what we're going to note is the painting went from the cover of the paperback to the movie poster and has since gone through many different changes. They added more water to cover up the swimmer so to pass the censorship as well as they lightened up the green to make it more blue and uh and, and change the font to red for the jaws titles so the poster has gone through many different changes over the years this one article uh, from newsweek highlights this i'm going to post this in our show notes we don't have time to go over the whole article but this company named mondo uh, known for their highly collectible screen printed posters vinyl movie soundtracks and apparel will they've released two limited edition jaws posters this was uh, back in 2018, and what they did was they wanted to go down, they wanted to boil it down to the not just the limited edition Jaws poster, but they wanted to bring it down to the actual painting that was used, which is quite different, in my opinion, more terrifying than what was on the poster. They've actually had studies, they've actually had companies go in and try to recreate this the original poster using various scans which have been aged over time it's really fascinating stuff about the uh, about some of the jaws fans that are out there that tried to recreate this original poster or or tried to get the uh, almost down to um uh, the perfect reprint 
of the original painting. Why? Because there is no original painting that exists anymore. It disappeared. It disappeared back in 1975, which is a tragic tale. So I'm going to link to this about the different color patterns and how there are, it's known as two different images. There's the Jaws, there's Jaws by Roger Castell, which is the movie poster. And then there's the Shark by Roger Castell, which is the title for the painting. And Roger Castell approved both of these and he signed uh, both of the uh, limited edition prints. So that this is what we're going to be going by. Why do we not have the original painting any longer? And that we are going to go to an article that was written by the, uh, the son of Roger Castell, Matthew Castell, who was an executive with over 25 years of experience in the world of professional sports, including major league teams, organizations. Uh, Matthew Castell, Roger's son, uh, wrote an article for the dailyartmagazine.com titled Jaws, the Enduring Mystery of the Missing Painting. And I want to take some time and go over this article because um, as out of respect for Mr. Castell, who passed away at the age of 92, uh, we really should focus on this and see if we can get an answer from Universal eventually. Because what, what this article is, is basically the son of Roger Castell, while his father was still alive, asking Universal for some answers, which I think the family is still entitled to. So let's go on and, and, and let's dive into this article. May 30th, 2022. Uh, this was a year and a half ago that Matthew Castell wrote this. And he says, in 1976, the iconic original painting of the Jaws book cover and movie poster went missing. Was it lost, stolen, or carelessly thrown away? To be brutally honest, the image of the oversized shark about to devour the naked woman swimming, unaware of her fate at the surface of the water, is probably just as recognizable across the globe as the Mona Lisa, and took as much artistic talent and technique to create as anything Andy Warhol or Banksy ever dreamed up. If you think I am taking this a little too personally, you are right. After all, the artist Roger Castell is my father. My father, now age 91, began studying art when he was a teenager at the famed Art Students League in Manhattan when he was a student, where he was a student for many years. After serving in the Navy during the Korean War, he returned to the Art Students League where he studied under the highly sought-after instructor Frank J. Riley. From there, he eventually became an illustrator. If you don't know Roger Castell by name, you have certainly seen his artwork outside of his classic painting for the Jaws paperback book cover and movie poster. He is also well known for doing the movie poster for The Empire Strikes Back. Additionally, he has done book covers for countless bestsellers, including a series of celebrated Jackie Collins books and the paperback cover of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Even today, well over 70 years since his journey as an artist began, he can still be found in his studio painting. The last time my father saw his Jaws illustration was in 1976, when it was featured with over 900 classic paintings at the New York Historical Society for the exhibit 200 Years of American Illustration. The exhibition was such a hit at the time that it drew the largest crowd ever for an exhibit at that museum. After that, it ended up in Los Angeles, where my father received a call from Universal Studios art director telling him it won a gold medal at a prestigious art show. 
neither the gold medal nor painting ever made it back to the rightful and legal owner, its artist, Roger Castell. From there, crickets. The only serious attempt to find the Jaws missing painting, of which I am aware, occurred several years later. The head of, of Bantam Books, Oscar Distel, for whom my father did the original painting, called him out of the blue saying he would be meeting with several universal executives, including Steven Spielberg, and would press them about the whereabouts of his painting. A few weeks later, he called back empty-handed, telling my father that Universal denied any knowledge of the whereabouts of the artwork. If you are a follower of the art world and or pop culture, and you are surprised this is the first time hearing of this, don't be. Even though illustrators are entitled to get their original work back, many publishers or other receivers of illustrations in that era never bothered. Think of it as old school art world snobbery. It's only an illustration, not real art, so it doesn't matter. Man, this is this is heartbreaking. This is a heartbreaking article. Um, remember, we are reading we are reading words from Matthew Castell, the son of Roger Castell, from his article in the Daily Art magazine. He continues, "This, of course, is a slap in the face of the artist, not to mention art lovers everywhere, as countless numbers of fantastic and noteworthy illustrations and paintings." have likely been carelessly discarded and are gone forever. Today, notable illustrations that survive this era have reached close to $50 million at auction, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. We have likely lost a few generations of classic American illustrations and paintings. We should be better than this. But the, but the question remains, what happened to my father's work? Where is, where is one to start on a mystery over 45 years old with no clues? Outside of putting my father's Jaws illustration on the back of milk cartons, under the caption missing, I have no clue. Was the painting simply lost, misplaced, or thrown away, like an old movie prop by Universal out of lack of care or ignorance? Or was it stolen somewhere in Universal's care by an admirer, by an, an admirer or enterprising thief? My recourse is limited. My, by writing this article, I am taking a long-shot approach that someone out there reading this may know about its whereabouts or fate and step forward. Then, of course, there is Universal Studios. We hear a lot of blather these days from large organizations on their social and corporate responsibility, including from Universal, which today, which today is Universal NBC. Instead of acting globally, it would be helpful if Universal Studios could act locally and involve themselves in an act of social responsibility of their own making. How about if they do an internal investigation to see if they can uncover anything? Uh, Matthew Castell finishes up here. He says, I'm sure their corporate lawyers would hate this idea as rule number one in the legal world is never to admit liability in any way, shape, or form. But if they come up empty in their investigation, a simple apology to my father would be a nice gesture. At 91 years of age, he has lived a remarkably wonderful life and is a quality person. Never once has he ever expressed any bitterness for his Jaws painting not being returned, nor let it impact his life in a negative way. But still, absent of a reunion with his missing Jaws painting, an apology would be the classy thing to do. And that was Matthew Castell's article, and that was a year and a half ago. And we lost Mr. Roger Castell on November 8th, 2023, 
a year and five months after this article was published on dailyartmagazine.com. Mr. Castell passed away, and as far as I know, he never received that apology or that investigation from Universal Studios on what happened to this missing painting, which might be one of the greatest cinematic holy grails ever to that that is still out there somewhere missing. Is it in a storage facility uh, in Universal Studios somewhere in Los Angeles? Is it in a collector's living room somewhere? We will never know. He does have a point about the Mona Lisa in that in that it is iconic. And everybody knows what that is around the world just by seeing that painting. And that's what brings us to the theme of this episode 73 is Jaws iconography. That Jaws, when when we say Jaws is the greatest movie of all time, it's because it leaves that stamp on, on humanity, on the world. And this imagery is so iconic that it has been parodied and used countless of times throughout politics, through political cartoons, through uh, Mad Magazine, Crack Magazine, spoofed, uh, many uh, different album covers, movie posters, TV shows, uh, advertisements have spawned from this imagery that Roger Castell made. It wasn't the concept. Remember, the concept was from the Doubleday uh, hardcover that Paul Bacon made. But what Roger did was made it terrifying and real. That's why Roger Castell should be given credit. The the iconic tone was set for Jaws that became this great movie with great performances by the actors and a great execution by the director. That all spawned from his execution of this painting. And it's very, very interesting. Now, as we go forward here, can we now see parallels We highlighted in episode 19, The Fate of the Orca, how Universal neglected to take care of the screen-used Orca after they purchased it back from Alan Aquino, and they purchased it back and brought it back to Universal Studios. They let it decay and fall apart and then destroyed it to the disappointment, the great disappointment of Steven Spielberg. Now we see that they lost the actual painting that would, would, that would make them, that would become the face of cinema history. And now we're seeing that they are talking about closing down the last ride of Jaws at Universal Studios Japan, uh, after which they've already closed down the Orlando, Florida ride. Do we see a parallel of what's happening here? Has Universal, they haven't really taken care of the Jaws iconography uh, to the best of their abilities. And that's why we are at a time as fans, we are asking, can they do better? Yes, they can definitely do better. What is unfortunate about this situation is that Mr. Castell never lived to see that painting again, never lived to actually get closure on what happened to that painting. That is an unfortunate fact of what we are looking at here. So going forward, can Jaws be treated with a little bit more respect by Universal Pictures. As in, can there be a Jaws Preservation Society established on Martha's Vineyard for different locations? Uh, We've talked about that in past episodes here, about various locations on Martha's Vineyard. Can a museum be built for Jaws memorabilia that, uh, that so many factions of collectors have around the world? Can that be done 
for the greatest movie of all time. I believe as we move forward with the Book of Quint and trying to establish an expanded Jaws universe, that all of these can fall into place here. The rebuilding of the Orca, maybe some closure and an investigation into what happened with the original painting, The Shark, by Roger Castell. And in doing that, is that our way of saying thank you to the artists that all came together 50 years ago to create what we know as Jaws. We mourn the loss of Roger Castell as a Jaws fan base or as a fan of great art. A great artist has passed away. This man's art touched us all in a very, very unique way. We all have a story. There are a lot of names in Hollywood, big names, that were influenced by this man's art. So if we all pause and reflect upon Mr. Castell and what he was able to what he was able to give to us during his lifetime through his art is truly remarkable. And uh, we're just paying it forward here just by remembering the man, but talking about the legacy that he left behind. Thank you very much for listening to episode 73. Let's listen to the words of Roger Castell as he takes us into the sunset. Last summer, I was painting in the studio and my grandson, Luke, came in and he says, Grandpa, did you ever do a Mona Lisa? And he's uh, seven. Uh, that really threw me. And I thought, and I said, I don't think I've done the Mona Lisa, Luke. And he said, well, the shark will just have to be your Mona Lisa.